What's up everyone, welcome to No Filter. I'm your host, Anna Kasparian. And as you guys know, we've been bringing in guests and having interviews to kind of switch up the format of the show a little bit. And I'm actually really excited about the guests that we have in studio today. Her name is Ashley Marie Preston. She is a media personality and a civil rights activist. In fact, she made quite a bit of national news when she called out Caitlyn Jenner following the revelations that she would vote for Donald Trump of all people. And she has also made history by being the first transgender editor in chief of a national publication. I believe Where Your Voice magazine is the publication that you work for. And I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. Sure, so I wanted to start off by kind of discussing who you are and what activism means to you. So you actually got up and moved to LA at the age of 19, you used to live in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. What made you make that decision? Um, I think it was intuitively, I knew that I wouldn't be safe to lean into my full authenticity, whatever that may have been at the time. I didn't have language to describe trans identity or any of the language we use commonly. Uh, today, but I just knew that I wanted to be around people and I just wanted to learn. I've always had a lust for life and diversity is one of the things I look for in an environment that I would call home. So you move all the way to Los Angeles, diversity is one of the things that really drew you into Mm -hmm. this city. And now we're kind of finding ourselves at a time where there's this pushback against diversity, especially from you know middle America and certainly not all the people living in middle America, but mm-hmm. the individuals that we hear from the most. They want immigrants to be deported. They are pushing for a time when segregation was acceptable. Mm-hmm. And what has your response been to that? Well, it's so interesting that we're still subscribing to the idea that it's really those like southern rural folks in middle America, when in all reality, we still see that same dynamic in larger cities, only they're CEOs of larger corporations. And so they're using their post as these influential corporate identities to be able to push their agenda. So let's talk about that a little bit. Elaborate on which corporations have stood out to you the most in terms of you know, kind of hindering some of the diversity and the progress that we could be making as a country? I mean, well, quite naturally, there's been a lot of conversation and news around the CEO of Netflix and his, um, his uh, money that he spent to take away women or not only women, uh, reproductive rights in general, because trans men, people who are non-binary are also impacted by reproductive rights. Um, but definitely we saw, that abuse of power happen. And so um, I think that it's easier to get lost in capitalism in larger cities because we're not aware that um, that a lot of these corporations um, have the ability to monitor and derail mass movements um, through uh, funding and the ability to overshadow a social justice needs and communities that are directly impacted by their decisions. So you've touched on something that's actually driven me crazy for several months now. I mean, it's driven me crazy for a longer time, <laughs> but but there's this new you know, emergence of, of right wingers who would argue that Silicon Valley and these major corporations, including Netflix, 
actually have some sort of liberal or progressive bias. Mm -hmm. But of course, I mean, if you really look at their actions in a lot of different cases, what they fund, the types of politicians they align themselves with, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, on one hand, they seem to sell LGBT pride and acceptance. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, what they do behind closed doors is a very different story. Well, I think that um, it's all about the almighty dollar. Um, I experienced this firsthand yesterday when I was at LA Pride and it was so overwhelming because the rainbow capitalism, as I would refer to it as, was intense. The reality is that people have to realize corporate uh, structures are not social justice entities. And so they're, they're going to prioritize uh, profit over people. And so when you look at the LGBTQ community, for instance, in 2017, we know that the spending power was at $917 billion. Since then, it's rose to well over a trillion dollars. Yet people like the transgender community on a national average make less than $10,000 a year. That's right. So when you're looking at the way that they show up to pride and when they're showing what this diversity looks like, we make up less than 0.3% of the population and yet none of their efforts are geared toward us because they see there's no value there, there's no any exchange. And so whereas poor LGBTQ people in middle America and rural areas, their big picture is survival. And because the corporations are leading that narrative, their big picture is sunbathing in the south of France with this amazing airline and hotel package from We Love Gay People Inc. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I think that um, that's an example of how corporations step in to serve their own interests, but not necessarily the needs of the community directly impacted by their presence. Do you see these major companies as exploiting the progress toward tolerance? Or do you ever see them as catalysts for that type of progress? Um, I definitely think, I don't know that I would necessarily demonize commerce in general. There are a lot of benefits and opportunities for historically disenfranchised communities to build equity through those uh, structures of business. However, um, I think there should definitely be some sort of regulation, which is why I'm excited about uh, presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren and the way that she's been going after big corp, big banks, big tech and holding them accountable because people will do what you uh, what you allow them to get away with. Right, so I actually wanna get into a longer discussion about mm -hmm. Elizabeth Warren's proposal and what you like about it. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's take a quick break. When sure. we come back, we will discuss that. We will talk about the impact of big tech when it comes to these social movements. And then I wanna get into a, a broader discussion about activism, what it means today and how to do it effectively. We'll be right back. Welcome back to TYT and No Filter. So we are here with Ashley Marie Preston and she is a civil rights activist and a journalist. And we've gotten into a pretty interesting conversation about the way the LGBT community and specifically trans individuals have been treated by this capitalist society. It's just such a fascinating perspective that doesn't get talked about enough. There's all this like peace and love and acceptance that we see advertised by these major tech companies. But again, behind the scenes, there's a very different story. So let's talk a little bit about what you had mentioned previously, which is Elizabeth Warren's proposal to break up big tech. Mm -hmm. How do you see that as a positive development? Should this type of legislation get passed for the transgender community? 
This is definitely, in my opinion, one of the most attractive features of her plan, believe it or not. Because um, as an activist, many of us use social media as a means of mobilization and organizing. And so what I've come across um, as an activist who uses those means is that um, when you are a person of color, when you are a trans person or a woman who's a prominent figure in the feminist movement, you are constantly under attack by, um, by I guess I would call it um, bias coding. Yes, bias coding. Oh, that's true. Very so true. many people don't know that in the tech space, white men are a protected class. Mm-hmm. And so I've experienced people calling me racist names. I've been called transphobic names. I've reported them several times to Twitter and other platforms and nothing has happened. They send me this generic email back that says, we reviewed your um, inquiry and have determined that at this time it is not in violation of our terms and conditions and blah, blah, blah. Well, I can talk about white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I get a warning from a platform from Facebook that they pulled my post down because it was in violation. It's um, amazing. And so, really, what it if we had more people like um, Elizabeth Warren who are stepping into the ring, who can't be bought, who are uh, committed to their values and their concern for the direction that our democracy is headed in, then we would be able to put reasonable regulations in place that keep it fair and equitable for everyone. But more importantly, that prevent us from um, having our democracy hacked as we saw obviously um, with the foreign government um, interfering with our elections in 2016. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because just uh, over the weekend, the New York Times published a pretty lengthy piece mm-hmm. about how young white males get radicalized by the extreme <laughs> right in America, mm-hmm. uh, and this specifically focused on YouTube and the way that the algorithm is set. And on this show, we've actually had um, you know individuals from Silicon Valley or educators who really understand how the coding works. And and that bias is very rarely talked about, that the very people who are in charge of putting together the algorithms and the artificial intelligence that's really running everything online at this point, are usually people who have inherent biases. It doesn't mean that they're bad people, it just means that their world experiences, life experiences have been different from some of the disenfranchised groups who are not included in the coding, who are not included in these very important spaces that really shape the way that people react to our elections. So let's talk a little bit more about the upcoming presidential election. Obviously, this is taking up a lot of time (laughs) in the mainstream press, but I wanna have a smarter conversation about it. So you mentioned Elizabeth Warren's policy. We've already talked about policy a thousand times more than most mainstream press does. but. Have you seen other proposals from other candidates that that impress you? There are, to be honest, my fantasy ticket is a Warren Buttigieg ticket. Oh, fascinating. Um, I definitely believe that one of Pete Buttigieg's abilities is to listen. When I first met him, I specifically went to go let him have it because of his comments about incarcerated voters. And I let him know that as a gay man who you and your husband benefit, from the blood, sweat, and tears of people who were beaten up and incarcerated simply for being who they are, just so you can enjoy a healthy marriage, that's problematic. Like, let's mm-hmm. talk about the actual history of LGBTQ people in our fight for acceptance. And he was just so 
receptive. You know what I mean? Huh? And 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 really and, and and he took what I said and an hour later he went to uh, go speak on stage and he spoke to it verbatim. Um, he spoke to it at HRC at a gala that's predominantly gay white men or like people that can't see anything outside of their own experience. Like that's just been my experience as someone who was a former uh, gala dinner co-chair. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I applauded him for that. Um, we need plans. Yes. We sell the uh, uh, this frothy emotional appeal or these like um, emotional campaigns that is not going to work. We need a plan. And Elizabeth Warren can go up to the board and show her work each and every time. And not only that, she's connecting with the people on the grassroots level who are directly being impacted by these decisions that they're making in DC. So a lot of her plans aren't necessarily something that she just sat uh, on the sun deck of her home. Home, sipping tea and thinking about, she actually went to these communities directly and asked, what is it that you feel is keeping you from accessing the American dream? What is it that you feel in your respective community that's holding you back from achieving or attaining everything that you and your family deserve? And so she's been able to come up with these plans around um, debt cancellation for college students. Oh, that's my, my favorite plan. Yeah, <laughs> that's my we've been plan. able to uh, come up with plans around uh, green manufacturing and climate, which I did a poll on Twitter just to see what my followers thought. Mm-hmm. 37% said that they were more excited about the green manufacturing and climate plan than they were even about the debt cancellation, which came in at 30% and at a close number two. Wow. So there is something for everyone on her platform and it isn't this cheap um, pandering tactic. Right, platitudes. Right, There are a lot right. of platitudes from presidential right. candidates, certainly in our country's history. But mm-hmm. uh, this time around, I feel like- And money. And money, Money, exactly. money, money. I think the first sign that, okay, this is somebody who is definitely behind what they're saying is that she isn't doing these big fancy fundraisers I offered. Mm-hmm. I was like, I have a ton of celebrity friends. I, I, I know a ton of people in Hollywood, we'll get together. We'll have this big dinner, you know, it's, I don't know, maybe 25 and above, uh, 2,500 and above, and they shut it down. I love that. And was like, no, let's take our time with this. Let's focus on the issues. Let's, and, and I was like, okay. So Elizabeth Warren said that she is uh, refusing to unilaterally disarm if she mm-hmm. does get uh, the win the primary, right? Mm-hmm. So she says that she will accept PAC money uh, if she gets if she becomes the nominee. Yeah. Does that at all bother you, or do you think that no, that's- No, not at all, because I think, again, it's looking at her greatest strength, which is bridging the gap. Mm-hmm. It's bringing people together. In fact, many people have questioned her her methods and said, well, what you're saying is almost like what Trump was saying in middle America um, and- He just didn't mean it. Right. He, he was just exploiting those he issues. He not only didn't mean it, but he used people's biases. He used their racism, their sexism, their transphobia, their uh, religious affiliation um, to speak to their hearts. But also he blamed all of the historically disenfranchised folks for their problems, which was a page straight out of Hitler's book of Mein Kampf. Right. The difference between Elizabeth Warren is she's actually shining the light on the people who are who are really responsible. And it is big banks, large corporations, and tech companies who are abusing their power. And so what Elizabeth Warren is doing is she's stepping outside of um, even what I would call um, these um, 
I, I I can't think of the word for it. Basically, she's stepping out of these like party affiliations, mm-hmm. and she is looking at the issues, at the values, which is why she has conservative people, people who voted for Trump, saying, "I'm going to give Elizabeth Warren a chance if what she's saying is true." But they're not questioning it because she's telling us where the money's coming from. She's talking about the wealth tax that's gonna be two cents on a dollar for everybody who has a net worth of over $50 million or above. Right. She's talking about the $100 billion for the opioid and addiction crisis that's gonna be spanned out over 10 years. She's talking about the universal child care. She's talking about the early education programs. She can show us where the money's coming from. And right now where it counts the most, we have to have someone in office who's not going to be intellectually lazy, but it's going to delve into all of that nuance and block out the noise. Which is what I love about the fact that she's not even throwing mud at these other candidates. Because I saw what happened at the MSNBC town hall mm-hmm. speech in Indiana when they were trying to poke at her and kind of get her to say something bad about Biden. And she went right back to the issues. Because when you have a candidate who is um, true and viable and electable, they don't have to take cheap shots at a candidate, their work is gonna speak for itself. You know, I had a little bit of fear that all of the policies that she was rolling out would deem her too wonky (laughs) for any type of positive Mm -hmm. media attention. But it seems like her method of putting out proposals and really walking the walk instead of just talking the talk is paying off now. She is rising in the polls quite a bit. Mm -hmm. She's educating too. Yes. See, the issue is that this is where Trump was really successful. Trump is someone who by default is um, not that um, much of an intellectual person. He's dumb, you can uh, call him dumb. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> he's, uh, he's, and so that way of talking about politics and policies in a way that's lowbrow, that makes people feel included, mm. is what people were looking for. That's true, authenticity. Authenticity, yes. and so Elizabeth Warren isn't speaking to these issues in this very highbrow sense. She's talking about it in a way that people can understand and she's educating as she, go, as she goes along, which is important because the younger voter who is too embarrassed to say, I don't know what legislation is. I don't know what the Senate does. I don't know what an electoral college is. She's teaching as she goes. She reminds you of that grandmother or aunt in the Midwest who sits you down to the table, makes you your favorite cookies, serves it up with milk, and then teaches you about your family's history. She's teaching America about America's history, and she's making sure that we don't repeat the same mistakes that we made in the past. And I think that that's the kind of president that we need going forward. We're here with journalist and activist Ashley Marie Preston. When we come back from the break, we're going to have a discussion about activism and what effective activism looks like. Come right back. Welcome back to No Filter. We're here with Ashley Marie Preston, who is a journalist and an activist. And I want the final portion of our conversation to focus on activism. What is effective activism to you? I just want to be clear and say that activism and organizing are two separate things and they're often conflated. Um, activism, personally, in all honesty, I would even always re- refer to myself as an activist because that 
hints that there's a choice in it. Mm. And I think activism is a privilege. For me, it's just survival. What do I have to do in the world? How do I have to show up to get people to not only see me, but to take their foot off my neck so that I have greater odds of surviving? And so when you look at organizing, um, it's taking a look at the structural barriers that are in place and being strategic about how you approach these issues and mobilizing, getting other people involved in the conversation, uh, taking census of these issues, not just uh, deciding for yourself um, what should be done, but really bringing the community into the conversation and making it collaborative. Um, I would like to consider myself more of an organizer mm -hmm. in that sense. And so for those people who are interested in getting um, involved, I think there's many different ways. Not everyone is always gonna be on the front line um, at a protest, but maybe you are an employer of a corporation that has an opportunity to hire a diverse, uh, 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 hire diverse uh, candidates for a job. You can hire trans people, you can hire women. Um, maybe you um, are in the writing room for a TV show and you're talking about this community that isn't uh, reflected in the writing room. Mm -hmm. You can bring them into that space. Maybe you're someone, like there's just so many different ways, but I think that the best way to be an activist is to build relationships. Yes. When we grow up as kids, we're taught that the good kids get all the great presents and the bad kids get a stock full of coal. Right. And when we grow up, we find out that the truth is that some of the bad kids get all the shiny toys and the good kids get the coal. And so working in the community, cross community to um, achieve power together, I've learned that when life gives you coal, build coalitions. And so it's important for women of all walks of life to support other women. It is important for people of color to support other people of color. As a black um, activist, um, I always reach out to people who are experiencing uh, discrimination or who are being uh, prohibited from achieving uh, um, um, for tapping into the American dream. So I work with uh, brown people, I work with Middle Eastern people, anybody who has a similar struggle. So I would definitely say look more at the similarities because the truth is that if they come for me in the morning, they'll come for you in the evening. It was such a pleasure to speak with you. I, I'm suspecting that this is the last <laughs> conversation we're gonna have. You're such a wonderful guest, you're such a wonderful person. Thank you for coming in and sharing your story. And where can people find more of you, your social media, maybe some of the work that they can follow? Well, first, thank you for having me. And you can follow me on Instagram at Ashley Marie Preston, A-S-H-L-E-E. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Ashley M. Preston. And then my Facebook is open, so you can Awesome. Check me out there. Thank you again for watching, and we'll see you next week with another episode of No Filter.